Welcome to the pen and the yod. We're back to the beginning of the Torah with the Parsha of Breshit. Rabbi Michael Siegel of Anshiamet Synagogue in Chicago talks with author Jonathan Eig about Breshit, the image of God and human dignity. Well, I don't know what round this is, but we are beginning the Torah again. Nice to be with you on the journey. It is. And there's, you know, uh, as Ben Bogbog, which is someone's actual name, said in the Talmud, in the, in the tractate of Pirkei Avot, the Ethics of the Fathers, turn it over and over and over again. Everything is in it. So it's not just the Torah itself, but our pursuit of knowledge of Torah that I think helps us discover what the Torah can contain for our generation. So I hope that our conversations are part of that um, larger idea. No question. It is for me. I hope for our listeners too. I hope so. Both so, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. We don't we don't check our numbers because oh no no it, no <laughs> don't do that. Or it's this over. Is, this is, uh, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so we're gonna so we start the, the the portion of Genesis to learn that human beings are the pinnacle of creation. Right. That the sixth day. Human beings are the pinnacle of creation. Everything is laid out for them. The waters, dry land are separated. There's vegetation. There are animals. There's everything. And in the first iteration of the story, and there's two iterations, Adam and Eve are created together. And the human beings have a quality that no other animal has. They are created, B'Tselem Elohim. They are created in the image of God. And that's the most powerful idea. And I think it's a, an earth shattering idea. You will not find that idea amongst other peoples, right? Sometimes the gods will look like us, right? Certainly the pantheon of Greek gods and, and throughout history. But this notion that human beings carry the image of the creator of the heavens and the earth, we're imprinted with something that is godlike, that's a, that's a pretty remarkable statement. And I thought we would talk for a little while today about what the significance of that idea is and see where we can take it. Great. It's a powerful idea, and uh, I'm sure we can go in a lot of different directions, but let's see where we, where we end up. Okay. So let's start with you. <laughs> when, you hear, <laughs> when you hear the term image of God, Right. Human beings were creating the image of God, but Selim Elohim. What what do you think of? Wow. You know, I guess I think that we all have this extraordinary gift that we are given, that we are made from the source, from God, and that, you know, we have a responsibility to live up to that kind of holiness, that, that we're all made from the image of God, right? And that, that means that... Uh, the good and the bad and all of our flaws that, um, you know, it's a, it's a lot to reckon with. It is a lot to reckon with, but I think you said something really interesting in there amongst the many interesting things you just said was that we have to live up to it. And I think you just, you put your finger on something that's really important that the fact that we are creating the image of God doesn't necessarily mean that we are living lives worthy of the image of God. And moreover, that we don't see, we, that doesn't necessarily mean that we will see the image of God in others. And the results of that can be just catastrophic. 
as is the story of Cain and Abel. So if you kind of see this as a story, right, as you're an author, how do you develop your story? You posit the idea and suddenly you're dealing with Cain and Abel and Cain kills his brother Abel. We don't know exactly why he does it. He's clearly, he's jealous, but he kills him. And so that must have meant in the moment that he did, that he was blind to the image of God. Otherwise he would, in his brother, or he wouldn't have taken his life. And so that story makes it crystal clear of the danger of not seeing the image of God in another person. Yeah, and uh, you you know you mentioned jealousy, and it occurs to me that at some point very early on in human development, um, humans found this desire to feel like some of us are more made more in the image of God than others. That like some of us have there's this almost maybe it's built in, maybe it's not need that we have to feel superior to others, and that seems to really throw a monkey wrench into the whole system of believing that we're all created in the image of God. Do you have siblings? I have two brothers. And where do you fall out in the I clan? I'm the oldest and the best. Okay. Now that's a very, <laughs> that, do you, thank you. Cause that just said something really interesting. And how, how do you suppose your siblings would respond if they were, if they were lucky enough to hear this podcast? <laughs> well, I knew I said it because I knew that it would get them angry and that they would argue with me because we were very competitive and we were fighting all the time as kids. And now we don't fight. We get along great. But, um, you know, there's even as kids, you know, there's like this part of us that each vies for the parents attention that each wants to be on top of the other, literally sometimes, you know, slugging it out. And the role of the firstborn, right, is going to redound throughout the book of Genesis in some really negative ways, beginning with Isaac and his brother Ishmael and, and, and so forth. But this, this sibling rivalry, this anger that can develop, we're all human. But that doesn't mean that I need to acknowledge your humanity or that your humanity or your image of God is, doesn't mean that mine doesn't shine brighter than yours. And you see how in the history of humanity, the power of this idea, if you contextualize it, what's the world the ancient Israelites are living in? They're living in, the, they're living in a world where there are slaves. They're living in a world where there are clear um, stratification in society. And to say that human beings are all created in the image of God is going to open the door to the concern for the stranger. It's going to open the door to God's concern for a slave people. I think we can guess that when the Egyptians heard this story that this God of, of these Israelites would care about this people, are you kidding? They're not people. They're not even human. So this idea of being created in the image of God really has deep resonance. And, you know, we can obviously talk about racism in this country. We can talk about anti-Semitism in this country. Ironically, we're the ones in this country that are often stripped uh, around the world. And our history reflects this. We're stripped of our own humanity, right? Absolutely. And, it, you know, it's, it's why we have wars. It's why we have uh, violence. It's because we find ways to differentiate ourselves. And it almost seems to be a human need to differentiate ourselves and to establish our superiority to others, um, as opposed to seeing the unity that might come from accepting the idea that we are all created in the image of God. I couldn't agree more, but one of the challenges that we have in our society is how do you act in a way 
that reinforces that idea. And I think this is especially interesting and pertinent during a time of COVID when everybody is hunkered down in their homes or people go into their offices, they're wearing masks. We're very circumspect about who we talk to, who we sit next to, social distancing. So all of the kind of social intercourse that we're used to in this world, all of these things have been put aside. They're all broken down. And then you add to that our dependence on screens and social media, right? It's easy to see how we can grow distant from one another. But I want to take it one step further. And I want to say that part of this idea of being created in the image of God is that every human being is endowed with dignity. There is a dignity that comes from being created in the image of God that all of us not only deserve in our lives, but all of us then are duty-bound to extend to other people. And I think it's a really powerful and important idea. Oh, there's no question it is. And I feel like it's it's the first lesson in the, in the Torah, and we're still struggling to get it through our heads. It's something that seems so basic and so simple, and yet we fail at it as a society, as a planet. It's not even, you can't even blame it on, you know, American politics. It's, you know, every society has struggles with this issue of, of treating people um, with dignity. There's always this sense of other, that this other group is not worthy of our of our respect in, in every corner of the world. But I think we also emphasize this issue in all kinds of ways. Think about how we give money to those people in need. And I guess the question is, are we using our ability to help people financially to help them no longer be financially dependent? Or are we setting up a system where people will constantly be financially dependent? And as a result of that, create a class society? Oh, yeah. No, we do. And we judge. We often end up giving and then uh, resenting those we give to because somehow they have you know, failed to appreciate our largesse. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. Did you miss the point that I just gave you this money? And how dare you be resentful? right, of a system that keeps you tied. And on the other hand, why are you not rising up? I think that's a fascinating issue that's worthy of our consideration. You know, there's a woman by the name of Jacqueline Novogratz, and she is quite remarkable. She has created a foundation, but what she does is she makes sure that Acumen, that's the name of her company, they've invested about $128 million to more than 128 social enterprises around the world. But what she talks about is dignity, making sure that people can be raised up in the process of giving. I think that's such a powerful idea. And when I was reading about her, I was thinking about Maimonides' ladder of tzedakah. What you actually are doing is giving anonymously, but ensuring that the person can make a living. They can go forward with whatever you're giving them and do something more with it. And to me, that's the ultimate fulfillment. It is, I mean, there's a through line from being created in the image of God and this idea of treating every person with dignity. It seems like it ought to be simple. Um, we somehow managed to complicate it. As humans, we complicate so many things. But you're right that if we could treat everybody that way and view everyone as possessing and entitled to the same dignity that we crave, and then it wouldn't seem so hard. I'm always fascinated by your work. And so I'm going to come back to Dr. King. This notion of dignity and ensuring the dignity of other people 
was a large part of Dr. King's life. I mean, I think about voters' rights. That's, a, that's an issue of dignity. I think about his work with unions and what he was doing at the end of his life. That's also an issue of dignity, isn't it, Jonathan? I mean, you, you know more about this than just about anybody. There's no question about it. But here's where it gets tricky. When King started the shift from voting rights and from the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, things that were acceptable um, to the liberals in the North because it didn't really cost them anything. And when he started the shift to things like guaranteed income and poverty, guaranteed jobs, that's when it got tricky. And when he talked about, you know, integrating northern schools and eradicating slums in the north, suddenly he met resistance because it was easy for the northerners to support it when it was just looking at the racism of the South, which was much more pronounced. When it started to affect their own lives and their own causes, some of his support withered away. And that's where it gets really messy. And it's very messy today. We, we, we certainly know that. But I do think that we would be well served if we began using the term dignity more, ensuring people's dignity, using religious terms like every person's created in the image of God. They deserve a dignified existence. It's not just to subsist and be happy that you have that I'm giving you this. You have a responsibility to do that as well. And I think that that's ultimately kind of Maimonides' top rung of the ladder, that you go forward in a way where I can help you not only, you know, subsist for today, but you can go forward and make a living tomorrow as well. So I'm ensuring your dignity along the way as well. Well, thank you, Jonathan. Thanks, Rabbi.